Morning, everyone. I'm Colin. I'd my welcome to, to Tim's and Alex's and everyone else's. Great to have you here. If I've not seen you since the new year, happy new year. So, yeah, new year. One thing I love doing at the start of the new year is I go to office works and I very carefully choose a new diary. I got myself a fancy pants smooth skin one this year because um, this is the year I'm going to be super organized, really successful at organizing myself again. Um, but if you're looking for some inspiration for success for this new year, I've got some, um, some uh, inspirational posts. You know, in the 80s, this is what people did. They put up on the wall at work these motivational posts. This one says, potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. Next one. Thanks, Stephen. Teams. Together, we can do the work of one. <laughs> Motivation. If a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job. The kind robots will be doing soon. And the final one, blame. The secret to success is knowing who to blame for your failures. So I hope you're feeling really motivated now for the new year. But let me ask you this. Are you successful? So right now, sitting where you are before you got this year to catch up, on balance, would you say you're a success or a failure? Was 2016 a successful year for you? Uh, And looking ahead, what success do you hope to have in in this year, 2017? That's a very broad question, so let's break it down. Um, What about success at home? Have you been a success at home? Are you a great parent or a son or a daughter or a housemate? Um, At work, uh, how's that going for you? Um, Your leisure time? Have you had sporting success? Has your travel checklist ticked? And church, if I, if I could test you, do an assessment to see um, at the end of the year to see if you'd successfully applied all that you'd learned in the sermons and at home group and stuff um, in your private Bible reading, how would you go? Success or failure? None of us want to fail. We we all want to achieve success at what we turn our time and our energy to. And every one of us thinks, if only I could have just such and such, just this next thing, I'll arrive. Then I'll be a success. What does that arrival look like for you? What is your, your finishing line? And what is success? What is, more importantly, what has God got to say in the Bible about what true success is? So Mike very beautifully read um, those parables for us. If you keep your Bibles open at the Luke 12 one, so we'll base ourselves in there uh, and we'll visit the Matthew one and some other verses. But the ones that are not in Luke 12 will put up on the screen. And there's an outline there uh, as we look at these parables to tell us what true success is. And then towards the end, we'll look at the implications. That's what that table at the bottom is about. So try to ignore that for now. I know you've probably already read it. Um, so let's have a look at this parable. First of all, then, verses 13 and 15, we see our, our first point. We see a trivial pursuit. So Jesus is surrounded by an, an enormous crowd here, and he's trying to talk to his disciples. And he's, he's just been talking about big things with his disciples, about don't worry about human opposition. Um, worry about God, who cares for them intimately, and, and God who decides how they're going to spend eternity. But then this bozo interrupts them. Uh, probably because he thinks Jesus is some sort of um, religious teacher who can tell him what's right and wrong. Uh, And what Jesus tells him is that there's more to success than material success. 
There's more to success than material success. So from verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do you believe that? Now, I don't think there's any of us here who would say, life, yeah, it's all about money. It's all about stuff. We all like to think we're deeper than that. But Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed for the quiet life. Greed for our jobs to give us meaning. Greed for downtime. Greed for our kids' achievements. Here's um, my sort of stumbling lot. Well, I've found myself greedy of recently. So uh, pictures of some photos there, I think. So think back to Christmas. So Carol's in the Christmas Eve store services, those of you who were there. They were really good, weren't they? It was great, it was great fun. There was um, lots of fun, clear gospel message preached to, to loads of visitors. Fantastic music. Um, I, I was feeling it all the more this year because I was the elf in charge of Christmas for Trinity Bay. Now, it's good to review things like that, to, to honestly work out what we can learn, what we can do better. But if I'm honest, for, for a little while, I found myself being greedy. Greedy to, for wanting it to, them to be perfect events. Uh, and greedy, if I'm honest, for people's praises. Now, thankfully, the rest of the staff team and my wife, Sharon, helps me cough on to myself. And instead... Turn, turn that to thankfulness to God and thankfulness to all of you for all your inviting and your hard work and to pray that God would do his thing, do what only God can do and, and show himself to people through those things. But like anything else, the success of those Christmas events wasn't about putting on the perfect show for our own sake to make, to make Trinity Bay look good. The success of those Christmas events the success, the success of anything we do is found in how much we do them for the glory of God and in how much they bring honor to him. So life does not consist in of an abundance of possessions. So does that mean we just shouldn't bother? We shouldn't strive for any success at all? We shouldn't give life our best shot? Well, No. See, in that other parable that Mike read to us from Matthew 25, so the parable of the bags of gold, it used to be called parable of the talents, that the bags were worth, worth about a million dollars, so like 20 years wages of, of average wage. Um, and we, we see from that parable that working and investing for the master, who is God in the parable, they're both commended and rewarded. So the master entrusts his wealth to his servants, Five bags go to one, two to another one, uh, and one to the other guy, each according to his ability. So fivesy and twosy, I'll call them, they put the money to work and double the amounts, and they both get the same verdicts from the master. Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
But Wanzi, if you remember him, he's, he has the master's character and master's motivations all wrong. So he sees him as a hard man, as a, an unethical opportunist. And so he fearfully buries the gold. And the master's verdict on him, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, we have been entrusted with, with so many good gifts by God, with our, our relationships, with children, with our time, our talents, what we're interested in, our, the opportunities we have. And we are stewards of these gifts that God has given us. And one day we'll have to give him an account of how we've used them. So yes, we should try to make the best go we can of our, of our jobs, of our friendships, our time, our talents. Because they're, they're all opportunities to be invested in for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 puts it like this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or in other words... Make Jesus your finish line. Jesus your arrival. Make Jesus your definition of success. Uh, if you notice in that, the parable, uh, the master's joy isn't in having more wealth. He's not really pleased he's got twice as much money as he had. His joy is in his servants having been faithful. You have been faithful with a few things, he says. And his joy is in sharing his happiness with them. See, that's why Jesus, back to the John 12 parable, that's why Jesus warns against greed in that parable of the rich fool. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on sharing in the true joy, the true success of the master. Living faithfully to bring God glory, knowing for sure that you will one day share in that glory. Being successful is being faithful. Being successful is being faithful. Jesus cares so much that we share in God's joy that Jesus lived the most successful, God-pleasing life possible. And rather than clinging on to that earthly life, he willingly gave it up, invested fully in God's glory to the point of death. And he did that so that his perfect success success could be counted as ours. Our lexicon of failure replaced with Jesus' perfect success. So that's our first point. Success isn't about the trivial pursuit of material or, or merely earthly success, but about living for God's glory by faith in Jesus. Still, success though, eh? If we are successful, what is, points you on your outline, what is the secret of my success if I am successful? So, the rich fool in the parable, he, he might have been a fool, but he was loaded, wasn't he? He was really well off, wealthy. Look at verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man, is rich already, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. We all know people like that, don't we? Everything they turn their hand to seems to turn to gold. They've got the perfect, well-adjusted kids. 
They're top of the invite list to every social occasion. Uh, and the really annoying thing about them is you want to you wanna resent them, but they're really nice, they're really likable people. But if there's any success in this parable Jesus tells, it's of the ground which produces abundantly. And who gives that growth? God. What success we do have comes from God. What success we do have comes from God. Uh, Psalm 127, 127, it's a psalm written by King Solomon. Now he was super successful. He was the really successful king of Israel. His people loved him. All the nations around him thought he was a top bloke. And he built the temple in Jerusalem. But in this psalm, even he acknowledges his reliance on God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor is in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand, stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. See, God does want us to work hard. It is good to do an honest day's work, or honest day's study or service. But it shouldn't be anxious toil, as if success or failure is all down to us and God really needs our success. See, our culture believes that we're we're self-made people and that if we can achieve whatever we want to, just if we're only determined enough. What a lot of pressure that is. What huge pressure, because if that's true, if it's all down... If you're, it's all down to your determination, then, then any failure to reach our goals is, well, it's all our fault. Because we're not good enough. But the Bible emphasizes over and over again that we're merely recipients of God's grace. That all we have is a gift from God. That even our successes are gifts from God. Well, Ephesians 2.10. Well, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does anyone remember Millie Vanilli? Put your hands up. Oh, thanks, Gain. I knew we could rely on you. They, this is Millie Vanilli. It's a couple of blokes, by the way, just clarifying that. They made some awful records in the late 80s and 90s. However, some people liked them and in 1990, they won the Grammy, the Grammy Award for the Best New Artist. And they enjoyed all the success and all the plaudits. The trouble was, it wasn't them. None of the vocals on their, any of their records were them singing. They were just the two blokes they hired to prance around on stage. And um, they were doing an MTV performance and the CD got stuck. And so they had to sort of mime their way off stage. And uh, eventually the original singers went to sue. And the cat was out of the bag. They had to admit that their success was down to someone else. And they asked for the Grammys to be credited to the original artists. We need to know that our successes in life come from God. And give him the glory for them. God has prepared us good works to do. Not too many, not more than we can do. So if we can't succeed, then we weren't supposed to. Remember in the parable of the talents, how it was determined who got how much? 
each according to his ability. God knows what we're capable of. With God, there's no unrealistic expectations, no asking us to do more than we can do without, with his help. Isn't that liberating? It, it means we can, we can be free to try our best, to give life our best shot, motivated by gl- glorifying God and in thankful response to his grace for us. And any success we do have is down to God, and it springboards from the ultimate bigger success, picture of success, of Jesus already having won us joy with God forever. We can strive to win, knowing that ultimately, in the most important sense, we've already won. So success is found in living for God's glory by faith in Jesus. And our second point, any success we do experience is a gift from God. And knowing this, living with this uh, truth is in stark contrast to, to our third point, the epic fail of the rich man. Our third point, the epic fail of the rich man in the parable. So this rich man, he's loaded, he's more produce than he knows what to do with. And so he smells an opportunity for success. I know what I'll do. I'll knock down my barn. I'll build a bigger one. I'll put everything in there. And then I can retire. No more hard graft. Just sit back and live off this bumper crop. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? It, well, it sounded like was investing in a property or building up a nest egg to retire early, isn't it? It's actually... I just wonder if this bloke's Australian. It's a very Australian definition of success. Well, let's have a look at God's verdict on him. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You fool. You see, the mistake, the epic fail that the rich man had made is that he's made his choices without reference to God. He's made his choices without reference to God. He's living as if God doesn't matter and that this life is all there is. He's made success all about his earthly life and all about the here and now. And those two things are about to end. I suppose had he, had he not died that night, then his plan might have been seen by himself and onlookers as a great success for about 10 minutes, as a blip in history, soon to be forgotten. I thought it was really interesting when George Michael died, there seemed to be as many things in the news about his acts of secret generosity that came out, came out of the dark and the doors for his musical success. Thanks, Tim. We just know, don't we, that there are things of significance that last beyond our earthly material life. But for this rich man, time's up. So what about you? Are you living without reference to God? Are you treating God like he doesn't matter? Because you matter to God a great deal. You matter to God so much that his idea of success 
was to save you. Save you by sending his only son to die in your place. You fool. That's God's verdict on the rich man. He failed to acknowledge God and thank God, the provider of his wealth. He failed to use the wealth he was trusted with for God's glory. So how do we avoid that you fool conclusion on our own lives? How can we be rich towards God, as Jesus put it? We're going to look at this, the application now, this freedom-giving boundaries we'll talk about. So hear this, of prime importance is to trust Jesus, to put your faith in him. We matter so much to God that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live perfectly successfully, to die in our place, taking the punishment we deserve. Jesus cared so much that we get to enjoy the ultimate success. He cared about that so much, was enjoying joy forever with God, that he invested his very life in winning that success for us. So if your idea of ultimate success is anything other than Jesus, then every other substitute success is inferior and is actually a setback. With Jesus, we are saved. Everything is going to be okay. Without Jesus, we are damned. Nothing will go right. So everything else, I'm going to say after this, is built on, is in response to this grace, this undeserved free gift from God. Nothing in what they say from now is going to save you. Only Jesus can save you. But this is how to respond to that great gift of grace. Okay, let's be clear about that. So we've seen that true success is faithfulness, doing everything for the glory of God. Now, I like a good infographic, a bit of statistics. So I wonder if you sometimes think of yourself like this. So this is you sort of divided up. Well, this one's wrong. So we're not to think of our lives as divided up into segments, one of which is our relationship with God or us as a Christian, and the rest is work, leisure, home. No, the truth is it's more like this. So, everything I do in all areas is all about living faithfully to bring glory to God. I'm not sure how much glory to God my dancing at weddings brings, but I enjoy it. And I'm doing it for him. So, I am a, I am a, I'm not just a dad. I'm a Christian dad. I'm not just a worker. I'm a Christian worker. I'm not just a watcher of uh, binge-watching Netflix on telly. I'm a Christian watcher of binge-watching Netflix on telly. And I've got to work out. <laughs> I've got to work out. So this is just a very small example. How do I do that Christianly? Should I even do that at all? When is good? Is it a good thing or not? I've got to work that out. More of that in a moment. That's the key to successful living. Seeing yourself as a Christian, doing everything you do, doing for the glory of God. And there's great freedom in how to do that. So this diagram in your right lines, I've got a big version of it here. I appreciate it for hard to see. There's about 30 copies of this big one at the back, if you want to take that away with you. But it's on this, I think we can have that on the screen. So this is from this book um, that Tim showed us. It's Time for Everything. So I recommend that to you, just because it fleshes out more of what I'm going to say. I haven't got time to do it all now. We'll be here all morning. Well, I recommend that to you. That's, there's a couple at the back. So, to help us think concretely, the author splits this up into these, into home, into work, church, 
uh, and leisure categories. And you'll see on this diagram there's an upper limit, this dotted line, there's a lower limit. So there's going too far, so past the upper ceiling of what pleases God, because it's, it's going into idolatry. So we can become so obsessed with doing one of these, or one or more of these areas well, that, in, it, that instead of God defining who we are, this thing become, defines who we are. We can major on one area so much that it can make us fall below the line on one of the other areas. So that's your upper limit, Turn it, when these things become our idols. Then there's lower limits, and below that, you're disobeying what's clear in the Bible, says is the right way to live, what pleases God. What's in keeping, a life in keeping with the grace that God has shown to us. So in lots of areas, God's really clear in the Bible, what pleases him and what doesn't. So, but between those lines, loads of wriggle room. All this, all this space where we're free to do our best at life, knowing the success is in God's hand. So just as an example, like I said, we can't do them all, but let's have a look at work. Because we all do work of some sort, paid or unpaid, study, service, something. So we know that um, Ephesians 4.28 tells us that we should seek not to be a burden. We should be able to provide for ourselves and have some to share, if you possibly can. And we know that Ephesians 6.6 tells us that we shouldn't only work hard when the boss's eyes are on us, but we should work as if... um, we're working for God. You know, make the minutes count, don't count the minutes, that kind of thing. Wholeheartedly. But then above the line, we can take work too far. So, um, never resting um, and working hard for the wrong reasons, out of envy or greed or because or we're anxious, or to find our meaning from work, our purpose. Or working so much that we fall below the line at church or, or in the home. Or, or never appreciating God's creation and just resting in it because it's not a productive thing to do. But in between all that, freedom. What job do you want to do? Freedom. Um, do you want to be full-time, part-time, if you can afford it? Freedom. Do I go for that promotion or not? Freedom. If it's within those boundaries, we're free to try to make a success of it for God's glory. Knowing that he doesn't need our success and knowing that work doesn't define us. And we can go through the similar process for the other ones. Of course, these areas aren't, um, for the sake of a diagram, they're separate. But in real life, they're all tied together, aren't they? They're not independent of one another. So I hate to break it to you, but you will probably never be the most attentive friend that you could be. Um, You will probably never be the best worker that you could be. And you'll probably never have the best leisure time that you possibly could. And why? Because you're also being the best church member you could be, you can be. Just very practically, church takes up your time. We all got the same number of hours in the day. And compared to your non-Christian peers, you just haven't got as much time. You haven't got as much slack in the system. Well, that's okay. Because compared to your peers, you've got a different reason for doing everything you do. So church reduces your capacity for the rest of life in a sort of time kind of way. But, it, but it's still the right priority. Because without church, you're unlikely to grow. And you're unlikely to endure to the end. And you're in danger 
of ending up like the rich fool. Uh, just quickly, what about home? Well, that's the one I'm most challenged by, I think. So below the line is not putting your family's needs above your own. I think I'm all right with that. But what about um, failing to teach Christ the model love of him? Well, there's lots of times in our house where uh, after dinner or in the morning, when we all drift off our own way, often to screens, where I could instead be leading us better in saying, oh, have you read your Bible today? Should we read the Bible together? Um, what about, uh, we're not a sporty family, so there's never been much competing with our time um, for time spent at church. Um, that might be something you need to think through so that we let God dictate the boundaries and not our interests or our sport. If you do get the book, you'll see the middle section is filled in with ideas. I've left them blank for you to think through what that freedom looks like for you. So as I say, there's about 30 copies of this at the back if you want to take one with you. And just have a pray and think about that. So, to finish up, are you successful? What's your arrival? What's your finish line? So don't be like the rich fool, living as if God doesn't matter, living for your own temporary success. Remember that we matter to God so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to exchange his perfectly successful life for ours. And even if you feel like a complete failure, even if you've been above or below these lines in every area, Jesus calls to you to be saved by him, by faith, and faithfully, successfully, live in response to that grace for the glory of God. And we can do that with our confidence in God to provide all the success that we need. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that we matter to you so much that you sent Jesus to, to die in our place. Thank you that he lived perfectly faithfully, perfectly successfully. Please give us um, wisdom and insight and um, uh, prick our consciences where uh, we're above or below those lines. And please let us um, revel in that freedom we have um, to live by faith and successfully, knowing that um, you provide all the success we need. In Jesus' name, amen.